ultimately, I'm going to keep saying it, get 1% better every day. Just get a little bit better every day. Welcome back. It's Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. This is your latest episode of 1% Better. It's a Monday after a Colts win, so I presume if you're listening to this, you're probably happy about that. The Colts, 27-24 uh, win over the Atlanta Falcons. They're 2-1. and one. And Zach, I mean, this is getting interesting. I mean, three weeks in, here we are. They're, they're sitting here with a winning record, tied for first to the AFC South for what it's worth after three weeks. But uh, impressions, just where they're at right now. How do you feel? I'm really impressed. I'll be straight up. I thought they would handle this situation well. With Andrew Luck retiring two weeks before the season, I thought Frank Reich and Chris Ballard had done enough to build this team to a point where they were going to be ready for a crater like this. Um, and they have even gone further than that, in my opinion. This was a really, really impressive win yesterday. I felt a lot yesterday after the win. It's similar to how I felt in Tennessee because things didn't go right in the middle of the game and they had some sloppy moments, but they finished in a way that's really encouraging and will help them down the line. And then most of all, number one, beyond anything else yesterday, my takeaway was Jacoby Brissett is for real. He has met this moment as well as a backup quarterback can. And, and they're in really, really good hands. What did you make from yesterday's victory? Yeah, a lot of the same things. Uh, I think that they're they're pretty steady. And I think that's yeah. the, the biggest thing overall. I mean, I don't feel like any one player was maybe the star of that game necessarily. I think they got a lot of contributions. That's the first thing. Certainly, Jacoby Brissett is the story. But... Uh, he didn't do it alone, and I think that's kind of why he's been successful to some extent, right? I mean, I think yeah. Andrew Luck has. I mean, we we've talked ad nauseum about Andrew Luck, right? But uh, you know, they're being more collaborative right now, and I think that is going to be their their meal ticket going down the stretch. You know, and that's how they're going to do this. Uh, they don't want to play hero ball, and I'm not suggesting. That's what they were last season. I thought we started to see that change last season with Frank Reich. But right. they're even more like that now. They're they're much more of a uh, – they've even taken that, I think, to a greater extent this year with Jacoby under center. I mean, uh, give me a chance to pick teams, and I'd probably pick Andrew Luck over Jacoby Brissett 10 times out of 10. But I do think that their disposition and their approach has changed and some positives have actually come out of that, I really believe. So so we'll see. And they did this yesterday, look, without a couple of key guys. You know, look, without yeah. without Darius Leonard, and I think we saw the result of his absence. I think we could see that at times. You know, Atlanta made some plays, but at the same time, T.Y. Hilton missing the second half after aggravating that quad injury. Look, I mean, that's a, that's a big... Uh, that's a big indication for me that this team is ready to kind of, you know, that, that this team is built properly, I guess, you know, is what I'm saying, that they can withstand those kinds of things. So, look, I, I think they're going to be fine, and it's just a matter of whether they can keep pulling out close victories because they're going to have to do that, and they've, they've done that here the last couple of weeks. So. Yeah, and let's go back to last year. They, this team's won 11 of 12 regular season games. Um Excuse Still me, 11 of 13. And they lost the 6-0 game to Jacksonville last December. Then they lost the opener to the Chargers. But they've won those 11 games in very similar fashion. This goes back to, to what you were speaking of. This team is more well-rounded than they had been at any point during Andrew Luck's time here. And the shame is we'll never get to see him play with the best roster he would have ever had. But Jacoby Brissett's not going to apologize for that. And, and I kind of dove into this yesterday. You know, Jacoby has embraced this moment in a, in a really mature way, and the team is feeding off him. 
you know, Chris Ballard said before week one, he said, look, Jacoby's not going to flinch. He is not going to flinch. So far, he's right. And that's kind of where this team has taken its cues from. But let's dig into something that was really, really impressive to me. And this is what you wrote about. And that's Frank Reich and the play calling, which was sublime yesterday. And Frank dismissed it and said, it's, it's all about players executing plays. And he's got a lot of talent and he plays into that. But this guy was unbelievable yesterday. It was one of the best coach games I have seen from a Colts coach in years. And it reminded me a little bit, and I know the stakes were much, much less, but it reminded me of the Eagles playbook against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. They just seemed to have a feel every time where they wanted to attack and how, and it worked. And the stakes aren't the same. They weren't playing Belichick's defense. I get all that. But like you said yesterday in the press box, Frank Reich is out there playing chess and the defenses are playing checkers. And man, he he really dazzled yesterday. Yeah, I, I really think that is that is one of their sort of aces in the hole right now. And look, you don't lose your best player, you know, certainly one of the most elite players in the NFL. You don't lose that guy and keep going as if nothing happened unless you you have some sort of huge advantages. And I think one of the Colts' big advantages clearly is Frank Reich and and him pushing the buttons. Uh, look, there's there's a common thread here, right? The Nick Foles situation. You talked about the Super Bowl. They lose Carson Wentz. He's an MVP candidate in 2017 for for the Philadelphia Eagles. He gets hurt early December. He's out for the season. Tears his ACL. Nick Foles, the backup quarterback, comes in. Nick Foles, who had, to that point in his, in his career, was a career backup and was the guy who was always sort of the, the safety net for teams. Okay, It's like, well, we'll start him if we have to, but we really don't want to. That was Nick Foles. And so, you know, what happened from there, the rest is history. He comes in, he rolls, uh, gets the offense rolling, and they go to the Super Bowl. But here's the thing, and win the Super Bowl. But, but I think Nick Foles deserves tons of credit for that. Tons. But you also have the fact that what you got there was, I think, a team uh, of coaches, including Frank Reich being the offensive coordinator, uh, clearly Doug Peterson as well. Uh, they have a, a way and a, a real unique talent of putting players in the right position to succeed. And that's accentuating strengths and knowing what players can and can't do, and putting them in ideal situations. That is what every coach tries to do. Some of them are better at it than others. And I think that is what helped them succeed in 2017. The, the one thing here we're seeing is, you know, Jacoby Brissett is able to, I think, really excel because what they're doing is they're putting him in ideal situations and he's comfortable in those situations. And so what happens right. is he rises to the occasion. Week. Yes. Right. When you're comfortable... Right. You're Look, if I'm asking you to write a story about economics, that might not be your best work, right, Zach? I mean, <laughs> I'm going to ask you to write no, a story about no, not NFL based football. in my college grade in that class. No, no, well, I'll stay away from those. Right. So, I mean, that's that's a stupid example, but that's kind of what's happening here. So, I, I just I really love what what they did. I'll give one quick example. I wrote about this in my story this morning, but uh, the touchdown to Zach Pascal you saw there in the first quarter, it wasn't so much that it was the most unique play design you've ever seen, although I thought it was pretty nifty myself. But the one thing they did there was uh, that it's it's so it's more about what happened before they even threw the threw the ball or decided to throw the ball. They got. Naheem Hines in that jet motion to the right. They do that all the time. They throw him the ball in the flat on the screen. They set up as if they were going to block for him. 
And the Falcons immediately thought, okay, we've seen this before. We know what's coming. Well, guess who thought that? Guess who knew they were going to react that way? Frank Reich did. And so what they did was they faked that screen. Play action. Yes, play action. Fake the screen. As it turns out, they're throwing to Zach Paschal on a sideline route. Zach Paschal had not been targeted this year. Don't you think the Falcons knew that? <laughs> and so Frank Reich really played into every assumption the defense was going to make there. And that's what killed the Falcons. And so he did that at other, at other junctures as well. I loved what Frank mentioned at the end of the game, too. This is really, you know, a neat little thing. It's, it's like, look, they throw a lot at Zach Pascal in the run game, and that's kind of why he made this team at receiver, right? He's a good receiver, but he's an excellent blocker. And so the running game is such a part of this team's identity, and they give him a ton of dirty work, that stuff that receivers don't usually like to do. And then Frank's like, you know what? I'm going to dial one up. They know that we're not going to go to Pascal, but we're going to go to Pascal. No one was in within five yards, ten yards of him on that touchdown. Um, that was brilliant play calling, and you saw it late too. I mean, you saw the drive that ended the game. This is what they couldn't do in Tennessee a week ago is finish with the ball in their hands. They had the lead in both situations. This time they did, and this was Frank Reich at his absolute best. He does the pull block. He gets, tw- he gets Quentin Nelson out in space, which is a scary sight. You saw the Falcons DB basically just like tumble to the ground, which let's be honest, I would do the same thing. I think you would do the same thing. I'd play dead. I think everyone on this earth would probably do the same thing if, if they saw 56 running at him. I think even Quentin was asked about this after the game, and he said that was a smart decision by that guy. Um, but no, and, and you, you give it to a guy that we probably haven't talked about enough so far that was really good late yesterday. That's Marlon Mack. He gets the space, and then on the play that, effect, that effectively sealed the game, you get it to 84, and Jack Doyle, being the genius that he is, stays in bounds. They can kill the clock. They can run out the clock. Um, that was a coach marriage to his players, as good as you're going to see it. Um, and I think Colts fans are really starting to enjoy this team this year. I know it's early. I know this team has a long way to go. But you were knocked out. You were you were ignored. You were buried before the season because you lost your star quarterback. Now all of a sudden you're two and one. The Raiders are coming in. You've got a good chance to go three and one. And you're seeing a coach lift up his team. Really. I mean, Frank Reich is out coaching guys every week and lifting this team up. Um, And that's always fun to see, right? I mean, he's getting the most out of his guys and his team's coming together and you're seeing something start to happen here. That's impressive. Yeah. And, Look, the, the true test will come, you know, when they play the elite teams in the NFL. So we will see. But I think right now what they're doing is they are maximizing what they do have. And they maybe don't have, you know, the kind of talent that the Kansas City Chiefs have. Although I would say I think the Colts are an underrated team in terms of their talent level. I think very much an underrated team. Yeah. Uh, we They probably don't get enough credit for the level of talent they have. However, that being said, look, there are some teams that have – you know, truly, truly elite players all over the field. And look, you know, whether they match up with those teams, look, I don't know. I'm not about to tell you that. But I do think that, as I said, they are maximizing what they do have. And one guy, as I said already, that they really are truly maximizing right now is Jacoby Brissett. And it it may be that we're discounting Jacoby. Maybe he's better than we expected. Maybe, Maybe he's just better than we knew. And this is who he is. But that being said, we, we didn't know, and they're getting a lot out of him. And I think they're doing that because, as I said earlier, it's the way Frank Reich is using him, what they're asking him to do, and putting him in prime positions. The other thing there is Jacoby 
they have really doubled down on one of his talents, which I think is efficiency and playing mistake-free football. You know, last week he had his first interception and he had, a, you know, an instance where he dropped that ball and, and had a turnover there. there. They had a couple of miscues, but he has largely avoided those. He hasn't made those sort of dunderhead throws that, you know, young quarterbacks can make sometimes or throwing into double coverage. That his predecessor made He's not a lot, doing often. That. Yeah. This is this is the great stat here in this game. The great Matt Ryan, who is who who has deserved every accolade he's ever gotten. I think Matt Ryan's a fabulous player. Matt Ryan has six interceptions, people, in three games, and threw a terrible one yesterday. Okay, with that one was awful. That was so inexcusable. I can't imagine the film session when he looks at that one for an MVP quarterback to throw that ball. That was like a high fly ball that was just thrown into Clayton Gather's hands. Not to take anything away from Clayton, but. Wow. Wow. That was a terrible throw. You never see Jacoby make a bonehead throw like that. And that's my point. It's like even the best among us at quarterback make really big mistakes, right? And, you know, none greater than Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was infamous for that at times. And yet Jacoby, I think this has been one of his greatest strengths, really, even in 2017 when he played in that cesspool of a season with that just, you know, sort of forgotten campaign. He, you know, he had, I believe he threw just seven interceptions then, you know, for a four, mm-hmm. four win team. So, you know, he's a seven to one touchdown to interception ratio right now through three games, man. I mean, that is pretty strong stuff. And that is when you're, when you're a team that maybe is trying to figure out its identity and trying to figure its way, find its way, I should say, that is as big as anything. Giving yourself a chance and not beating yourself. That's what it's about. Uh, I tell you what, you know, what did you get from Jacoby's performance yesterday? I mean, I, I think there's a lot more to it, but I just pointed out the efficiency. But what else did you see? Or what are you seeing from Jacoby? Are you seeing growth? Uh, what are you seeing from week to week from him now? I don't want to over-dramatize this, but it was the first time I sort of looked at the game and, and watched and, and told myself, this is his team. Mm-hmm. Now, and it's not that it hasn't been his team since the minute Luck left on August 24th, but like, that's in the past. That's over with. It's done with. He's not coming back. This is Jacoby Brissett's team. The players feel that. They believe that. And the coaches feel that. And they wouldn't be winning if this wasn't very much um, his team. And he's handled it exceptionally well. And I honestly don't know how well how he's done it this well. He's made it look easy, and it's not easy. Um, but they believe in him. And I mean, Anthony Walker, the night Andrew Luck retired, Anthony Walker called him. And these guys go back. I mean, they're friends. They both grew up in Florida. And Anthony said, look, like we are behind you 100%. And Joe Kobe was like, look, man, like I appreciate you saying that. Thanks for believing in me. And they've kind of just gone from there. And Jacoby Brissett is going to be one of the one of the stories in the NFL this year. I'm really confident in that. He's going to be one of those guys that comes onto the scene. And maybe he doesn't have the headlines that Daniel Jones has in New York or Kyle Allen maybe in, in Carolina. But Jacoby Brissett is absolutely playing winning football right now. And with the cast around him and specifically the head coach with him, he's going to play well enough to get this team to the playoffs. I believe that. And whether they make it or not, we'll see. We've got a long way to go. It's not even October yet. But I believe the Colts have enough talent. And I believe if he keeps playing this well, this could be a team that competes for a playoff spot, which is really, really remarkable considering how this season began. I could not agree more. The other thing I want to point out about Jacoby, you know, we've talked about – uh, his efficiency, just talked about him taking ownership. The other thing that happened yesterday that I think, you know, you talked about watching it sort of become his team. I think there's something else at work here. And we, 
we knew that at some point a defense would just say, you know what, let's see what this guy's made of. And yesterday was that day when the Atlanta Falcons, they watched the, the film of the first two games and they said, okay, this team wants to run the ball. No, that's not breaking news. We get that. And I think the question then becomes, all right, if we stop them from running the ball, can the quarterback beat us? Well, maybe that was an open question for them. And I think, you know, 310 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, they can. 310 yards and two touchdowns later, I guess we have the answer. So, look, the the Falcons and Frank Reich said this. They sold out on the run. Okay. They were dead set. You are not going to run the ball on us. And so what happens at that point is your quarterback's either going to win the game for you or not win the game. It's not all on him, but he's going to have to make throws. And the one thing he did yesterday, Jacoby Brissett, was, you know, we've heard a lot or some rumblings the first few weeks we've heard about the Colts not being aggressive in terms of throwing the ball deeper and and those kinds of things. And those are fine. Those are all fair questions. They didn't do a lot of that. Well, yesterday they did. They had a 35-yard completion, I believe a 28-yard completion, and maybe 26, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, they they had several 20-plus passing plays and those are what are considered by coaches in the NFL to be explosive plays and they're getting those now they haven't had any of those really for the first few weeks not many at all but they're they're doing it now those opportunities were there they took those opportunities it's really I've said this from the beginning it really boils down to not whether you can do it but when the opportunity presents itself can they convert those opportunities and they did and so for me that I think is another box to check on Jacoby Brissett, you know, can he do this? Can he do that? And I don't know that there's an area that we've wondered about where he's failed yet. I mean, he really has. It's funny you mentioned checking the boxes because I had a long conversation with Deion Kane in the locker room yesterday and he used the same analogy. He said, look, I really knew in Tennessee last week. And he said, this is a direct quote from Dion. He said, look, he checked every box. Quarterbacks have to bounce back when things go poorly because they're going to go poorly at that position, especially when you're on the road in the division, playing a tough defense. And he said, look, we knew that day because he checked every single box and led us to that win. That was not an easy win for this team. And they're still, still impressed by the way Jacoby Brissett won that game in Tennessee. He built on that. And I think this goes back to his practice. I mean, Zach Pascal told me that Jacoby had a practice last week where he didn't have an incompletion. He was just in the zone all week. You could feel this swagger coming off him. He's got this confidence. He was prepared. Um, and he was on fire from the very beginning. I mean, he completed his first 16 passes. You know, Naheem Hines says, you know, it's it's a really good feeling as a running back to look up at the Jumbotron on midway through the second quarter and, and see that your quarterback hasn't had a single incompletion. I mean, so the, the whole team is sort of, you know, building off this momentum that the quarterback has sort of had. And it's been something to watch this offense operate because they lean on the run, they lean on the run, then they go deep to T.Y., then they use Ebron. There's a lot of balance. There's a lot of attack ability in a lot of different spots. And Jacoby is not a weak spot at all. The offense is not carrying the quarterback by any means. He is a weapon. And you saw his best day of football yesterday, the best day I've ever seen him play in the NFL. Yeah, it's been quite a thing to to watch unfold. I mean – to go from where we were really a month ago, they had a month between home games because it was the third week of the preseason. Then they finished the preseason on the road and then two road games to open the regular season. So almost one month to the day after Andrew Luck, you know, stands up there and gives that tearful departure speech, you know, here right. they come with Jacoby Brissett. And, and in that intervening month, 
<laughs> we've learned so much. We've come so far in terms of how we view this team and view the quarterback. It, it's kind of amazing just, you know, how much has changed in that short period of time. But it has been fun to watch. And, and that's that's what we figured would be the case, you know, about this team. We didn't know how it would turn out, and we still don't. I mean, we're, th- we're three weeks in. But the one thing that you right. and I have always said among ourselves is that, you know what, I think this is going to be interesting. It might be fun, at least to watch, you know, and, and what happens happens. But I think the unfolding and the actual playing out of this story could be interesting. And so far, uh, that has definitely been the case. And I, I thought I felt that from from the, st- the fans in the stadium yesterday. I think people are engaged with this team. They like this team. They like the players. They like the coach. I think it's right. it's an interesting time for this team right now. And they suffered, they suffered this blow together. I mean, the players were hurt when Andrew walked away. The fans were absolutely hurt. And what do you do when you're hurt? You kind of rally together. And when you have something to believe in that's, that's good and, and that's really sort of showing the best of this team, um, that's easy to root for. I can see that. I can feel that. I saw some number seven jerseys yesterday, which I hadn't seen in a long time um, or at all before. And, and this is something Chris Ballard had mentioned. It wasn't just number seven jerseys. You know, when he took over, he wanted to see, you know, when we go to games, we see Peyton jerseys, we see Marvin jerseys, we see Reggie jerseys, we see Luck jerseys, right? That's about it back in the day. Now we're starting to see these new guys. I saw a Kenny Moore jersey yesterday. I did see a Paris Campbell one, although I think it was a family member. But you're seeing Quentin Nelson jerseys. You're seeing a lot of Darius Leonard jerseys. And I saw a couple of Jacoby Brissett's. You're starting to see the fan base buying into this new era. And the new era is absolutely Jacoby Brissett's era. And and see a more balanced team than this team's had in years. And it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a really fun season. And I think the fans are absolutely behind this team, especially if they play like they did yesterday. I, I think um, this has nothing to do with what you just said, except you jogged my memory when you talked about seeing old jerseys. Um, th- me and my tangents. So I saw a, <laughs> I saw a family or at least a party who was together, three or four people, walking into the stadium yesterday. I swear to you, no joke. There was a Manning jersey, a Freeney jersey, and a Harrison jersey, and I. <laughs> it's like the two thousand sick Colts just walked in. I mean, it's like, but as you said, we're really seeing them turn the page. It's, it's fun. They have guys now that you can root for. And I think people are buying in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, before, so let's go back to like 2014. I mean, whose Jersey did you have? It was either Lux or TYs, right? And maybe Vinny, right. but there was no guys on defense. You really, really wanted to get a Jersey of, and, and you're seeing that era shift and you're seeing these guys are all draft picks. I mean, that's the key, right? Leonard Nelson, these are guys that are going to be here for a long time. So that's a telling sign, and that's something that I know that the general manager is, is enjoying seeing as well. Yeah. So I mentioned a little bit earlier about uh, Frank Reich's pay, play calling, but there were some other aspects of, of the job that he's doing that I wanted to touch on, and I'm jumping around a little bit here. But one thing that I, I, I'd be remiss for not mentioning is just Frank Reich's game management right now is really, I think, something to behold. He's doing a great job for a guy who's still relatively new at this. I got to say, you know, there's been, there were a couple of instances yesterday where I was like, huh. And one of them was uh, there was a, an early situation, I believe in the first quarter, they have a, uh, a third down situation. The Falcons get a penalty. The Colts stopped them. They, there was actually going to be a third and ten. And mm-hmm. yep. if you, you decline the penalty, you get a third and 10. Hey, you know, are they going to convert that? Well, the odds are low, right? But instead, Frank Reich decides, you know what? They're on the fringe of field goal range here. 
Let's back him up 10 yards. It might have been a holding call. It had to be holding, if I'm not mistaken. Back him up 10 yards, take the penalty. Now it's second and 20. And I'm thinking, he's crazy. Why not take the third down and long? Everybody knows that's what you do. But he's thinking about the bigger picture here. He's thinking, you know what? Maybe if we play our cards right, if we really buckle down and play defense here, maybe we can get out of this without giving up any points as opposed to maybe settling for allowing the three points. Well, guess what happens? They get in there. They go second and 20. They get maybe eight or nine yards on second down, the Falcons. And then now they've got a third and long. They don't get it. And it ended up being fine. I think they got an incompletion, actually. They end up punting if I'm not mistaken, in that situation. The Colts get out of there with no points. So what yeah. I say, what I'm saying there is he trusted his defense, and we can debate on whether the defense was even having a great day, but he trusted his defense, and he said, you know what, I'm gonna. he's coaching to win is what he's doing, and that's really what it boils down to. Same thing the way they closed the game. Instead of running it right. on third down with two minutes left, he says, you know what, I'm going to put the ball in Jacoby's hands, throw that ball to Jack Doyle, get the first down, and let's take a knee and get out of here. Instead right. of giving Matt Ryan back the ball. You know, you know Frank Reich as well as I do. Uh, what is that kind of what you expect from him? Just hearing him talk, knowing him, and knowing how he thinks – is that kind of what you expect from Frank Reich? Yeah, that's a good point you brought up. I was going to bring up the Jack Doyle play, and then you brought it up. I mean, this is a guy, and this is how he thinks. Like, he he wants to win the game. He doesn't want to not lose the game. And I'll give him credit. This is what he said day one when he took this job after the whole McDaniels fiasco. He said, look, we want to step on their throats on offense. We want to make the defense – we want to be able to do what we want to do. We want to be able to run when we want to run and throw when we want to throw. And this goes back to what he did last week in Tennessee, you know, fourth and one on your half of the field, not a move a lot of coaches would make. And he says, go for it. Why does he go for it? Because he believes in his guy. Why does he go for it yesterday with a passing play as opposed to a run? Because it believes in Jacoby Brissett and he believes in Jack Doyle. And and this is another element to this. This is a really well-coached team. I think they're fewest in the league in penalties right now. They had four yesterday. And one of them, which against Quincy Wilson, which was very, very questionable. Falcons had 16 the penalties killed the Falcons yesterday. Frank Roke has done a really good job, and his assistants deserve a lot of credit for this as well, especially the position coaches. The Colts are not beating themselves. They're going out and winning games, and they're not beating themselves, and this is something they did routinely in the Chuck Pagano era. And Chuck was the first to say it. He said, we're shooting ourselves in the foot, or whatever the cliche he used was. But that's a credit to Frank Reich and his assistants, and I love seeing a guy that just believes in his players. I mean, even when he was asked about how good his play calling was yesterday, he said, you know, play calling is all about players. And he said that from day one, and he's still saying that now. The best coaches are the ones that put their players in the best position to succeed, Belichick being at the top of the list. Frank Reich is putting his guys in the best chance to succeed, and he knew – Matt Ryan would be on the other side. And he knew that wasn't Marcus, Marcus Mariota last week, right? He knew that they couldn't give the ball back to Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. So what did he do? He got aggressive and he believes in his guys and his guys converted. And believe me, the guys feel that the players feel that anytime you talk to Eric Ebron, he feels this confidence coming from his head coach. And it, it, it stretches to Jacoby Brissett as well. And it's not going to lie. It's, it's, it's fun to watch a team play football like that. You know what I mean? It's fun to watch a team that believes in itself and that goes out there and takes the win and doesn't just sort of fall into it sometimes. So there's a lot of moxie in Frank Reich. There's a lot of swagger that the uh, former pastor wouldn't let you know on the surface. Yeah, and it is very, very true. 
in all walks of life, football, business, whatever. I really believe that the the team, the staff, whatever the the group is that you're talking about, it takes on sort of the uh, the 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 traits i guess of its leadership and so yeah. in this case you have frank reich ex- exuding confidence okay certainly not meek and not going about it like i hope we win no he's going out there like he said to step on your throat and and you can talk all day talk doesn't mean a damn thing okay in the nfl because everybody everybody talks nobody cares what you have to say but players respond to confidence and they respond to a coach that's well prepared because they may not tell us, the reporter, they may not admit it. They may not, you know, sort of uh, betray this in their social media postings. But these guys are smart. These guys are elite football minds, too, because they've played football at different levels. And they're the best of the best. So don't think that these guys don't know good coaching from bad coaching. They know it. And the fact of the matter is, when you know you're well prepared, you play with confidence. And this is something Jack Doyle told me yesterday. He said, you know, the best thing, the reason we love playing for Frank is... We go out there and we feel like we can do anything. We feel this amazing confidence. And it's not just, oh, he's a good play caller, or this or that. It's more than that. It's about his approach. It actually instills his players with confidence. I'm not exactly sure how he even does it. I don't know. But I think you you get some sense when you listen to him talk. I think just the way he comes across, it's not about words, but it's about that those words actually inform the way he goes about his job. So I think if you... I think those words are a reflection of how he does his job as opposed to the words just being words. So that really is something I think that's notable here. These guys, they're not just going out there and and saying we're going to win. They really feel prepared to win and they feel like they are well positioned to win. So that means everything. And I think there's something there. Uh, I want to transition real quick to the defense that... I think there were there were some mixed reviews there, and I'll go back and watch it again in a second here. But but one thing I would say was, um, well, let me let me put it to you. I mean, you've you've watched the game, you've rewatched the game, had a chance to do that. I haven't, but one thing that I would say is I didn't see a lot of playmaking on defense yesterday. And just what were your takeaways from defense? It was strong to start. Uh, I thought in the second half, obviously they faded. What were your main takeaways from defense? What'd you get out of it? It was a lot like what I expected. I expected them to sit back in zone, and I expected the, the Falcons to feed Julio, and they did. And I Donna thought the Colts might want to do a little bit more, be a little bit more aggressive. Maybe don't play 10 yards off them every time. They let a lot of third downs convert. They gave Julio a lot of space, and that's just that's just playing with fire. Um, there wasn't a lot of playmaking. You're right. I don't want to take anything away from Clayton Gathers, because that's the easiest interception any DB will get in this league. That was a terrible decision by Matt Ryan. And the run defense was good, not great. Third down defense was terrible. And the offense bailed them out. I mean, they really did. Um, it just, it just, it's just, it's just worrisome when you think about what's coming up, right? I mean, that was a good quarterback. They're playing a great quarterback in, in three weeks in Kansas City. And they've got Deshaun Watson twice this season. So um, I don't know how to feel about the defense today, to be honest. Uh, I thought Anthony Walker played a hell of a football game. He had 14 tackles. He was doing everything in the middle. But they were exposed in the past game, the two linebackers, especially Okariki. It was very obvious that the Falcons were targeting 58, and they were trying to expose him in the passing game. And they did, and they did it very successfully. So obviously the Colts need Darius Leonard back as fast as possible. I'm not breaking news while I say that. 
But I'm still, uh, the jury's still out on the defense. It wasn't their best day yesterday. I don't think there's any way to put it. And I think the film session tomorrow with Matt Eberflus is going to make that very clear to them. Yeah, so my takeaway on the defense is, and this is not just about yesterday, this is sort of an overall sense I've gotten for the season. My takeaway is that the defense is hit and miss. We've seen some moments where the defense was totally on point. And then we've seen other instances where the defense was like, who are these guys? And and so maybe that's what you get with a young team, I guess. And maybe we shouldn't be surprised. It's not so much a, a criticism as much as just that's where they're at. You know, I, I think that they have the ability to be really good on defense. But the one thing they don't have right now is consistency. Go back to the Los Angeles game, the opener. I think they were all over the place. The tackling was terrible. But then at other moments, they made some plays. And I just think I came out of that game thinking, okay, I don't even know who they are defensively. Then they go to Tennessee last week, and I thought defensively they really showed out last week, actually. Yeah, I thought that they was closed that game in a really impressive fashion. Yeah. That's right. And then yesterday, again, uh, first half, obviously, they really held the Falcons at bay. And then the second half, it was kind of like, okay, are the Colts ever going to get the ball back? <laughs> it was unbelievable. So a couple of things, though, about specific to yesterday. I think what happened there is it's kind of one of those deceiving situations where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So what I mean by that is, so they get up, what, 20 to 3 or 17 threes, 20 to 3. You're feeling pretty good. Well, at that point, yeah, you're not going to play, you know, sort of tight man-to-man. You're going to play safe. You're going to try to avoid the big play and make them earn it, right? Because now you got a two-touchdown lead. You're thinking, okay, well, you know what? Let's make them go the hard way. That's that's actually the right move. That's the right philosophy. The The problem is you got Julio Jones out there and Mohamed Sanu and, and players like that right. and a quarterback who can get them the ball. And so <laughs> – They'll take it the hard way, and then, but they'll also make a few big plays here and there in spite of the way you're playing. So it's just, it, it maybe just kind of par for the course given who they were playing, but they, they had a few too many big plays, and they were a little too easy for my liking. Yeah. Uh, Rakia Sin got a, a welcome to the NFL moment yesterday, I thought. Just really a whole day of welcome to the NFL. Julio Jones is uh, going to see him in his sleep, I think. Yeah, and – you know, let's be honest. Does anyone do it better than Julio? I mean, this is a guy that's going to tear up every defense in the league. I don't care who you are. So there's that to be said. But sure. don't make it any easier on them. Don't give them that much space. And don't sit that far back. But this are questions we can ask Matt Eberflus when we talk to the defensive coordinator tomorrow. Um, they've got the Raiders this week. Then they go to Kansas City. And they're going to see the best player in football, the you know the probable MVP for a second straight year, and a passing attack that absolutely lit that um lit them up in the playoffs last year. So that's going to be a good measuring stick for me. But this defense so far this season has been up and down. I want to give them all the credit in the world for finishing in Tennessee, but yesterday um, was a very 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 Jekyll and Hyde performance. Yeah, and and the one thing that would have made a difference yesterday. I think a discernible difference really would have been more of a pass rush. I didn't think they had yeah. a consistent enough pass rush, especially after last week where I thought the pass rush was quite impressive. And so, you know, we'll see. I, I think they need to kind of have some consistency in the pass rush. If you do that, then maybe Rocky Asin doesn't have to stay in coverage against the best receiver in football, you know, for five or six seconds because that ain't happening, folks. Right. Okay? No. <laughs> it's just not. No. So... You know, listen, I, I, I'm not, I don't think it's a, a five-alarm fire back there. I just think 
you know, a few too many frustrating plays that they, they need to clean up. And the pass rush does need to be more consistent because if that continues against the elite quarterbacks, I mean, they right. had one yesterday, frankly. If that continues against the elite quarterbacks, uh, they're going to have some long days. So so we'll see. Uh, I think that uh, let's touch – we tend to do this, and I like doing it. Let, let's touch on the AFC South a little bit. Um, yeah. So Houston, you know, gets a, a big win yesterday. Yeah. They needed that. Really nice win um, for them in L.A. Yeah, I really think that this is going. To, I think the games against Houston to come, yeah, with the Colts. I, I think I really am looking forward to those because I don't know, I don't know going in right now. You know who would even have the upper hand. It doesn't matter. They're a long way away. But I do think those two teams are the class of this division. So right let me now. ask you this. So I would agree, yeah. and I'm not counting Tennessee out. But you just no. laid an egg against Jacksonville on Thursday night football and the Colts are one up, you know, winning on the road there. So here's the question. When you talk about the Colts and the Texans, Colts won two to finish last year, two at their place. Is it in their heads? Do the Colts technically, I mean, hmm. we've, we haven't even talked about T.Y. Hilton, but that dude owns real estate in that stadium. He's been so dominant there over the years. Do the Colts own the Texans or does it all disappear because 12 is not out there because usually 12 was the main factor. I know those are going to be huge games in the division race. That's not telling anybody out there something they don't know. But the Colts, the way they whooped the Texans in that December game and then in the playoffs in Reliant Stadium, um, I wonder if that's on the minds of the Texans at all because the Colts won those going away. Well, listen, it's a fair question. and But I would say this, my, I'll, I'll answer the question, but I actually don't even know that this is all about Andrew Luck because I'm old enough to remember a night when Matt Hasselbeck, okay, <laughs> after a really bad Chipotle burrito, <laughs> okay, went down to One Houston. One of the greatest football quotes of all time, right? A lot coming out of the basement and a lot more coming out of the attic. I mean, I can't get it out of my head, and it conjures all kinds of images that I don't want to think about. But I'm old enough to remember a night when Matt Hasselbeck went down there and under those circumstances beat the Houston Texans in a primetime game on the road when J.J. Watt had like two tackles and you didn't even know he was on the field. Okay, so I don't know. I I think this is bigger than Andrew Luck. I think the the Houston Texans, I, I do think that there is sort of a a complex. I think they have a complex with the Colts. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, go back to last season. I mean, the T.Y. Hilton clown mask. I mean, that is yep. just That's he just emasculated those guys. I mean, just absolutely took their manhood before the game even kicked off. Okay, <laughs> I mean, come on, man. Colts have won four of five against Houston. The lone loss being the one last year in Week Four in overtime. Uh, the you know Frank Frank Frank's fourth and fourth call and so that was a ticky tacky game that went back and forth and I think either team could have won the Colts went for it they botched the play and, and Texans won the Colts have won four or five and that's going to be a fun game in a couple of weeks because that's the Colts first game after the bye and to their favor it's at home so they'll be playing the first one at Lucas Oil Stadium the Colts will go down there for a Thursday nighter I believe in November but for me that's the two teams in the AFC South. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun because Watson is a special player and he is he is electric and the Colts defense is going to have their hands full that night. That's for sure. Yeah. You mentioned Jacksonville and, and Tennessee. I don't I don't know. It, I, I think the jury 
is out on both of those teams for different reasons. <laughs> I think the jury's out in large part because of their quarterback situations, but for very different reasons. Uh, you know, when it comes to those quarterbacks in Tennessee's right. case, it's is this quarterback even capable of getting it done? <laughs> and then Jacksonville's case is like, huh? Could this guy? possibly hold them over you know i mean i don't know it's a very interesting situation he's got a great mustache for sure but i mean maybe mm-hmm. we're learning a little more about gardner missed you whose name i'm probably mispronouncing because i just learned his name so uh and certainly marcus Mariota, i think has done nothing nothing to change anyone's mind about him this year it's sad because i like marcus Mariota. he seems like he's a good dude and he's he's definitely got some talent but there's something lacking there, and, and we've talked about this, I think, almost every podcast we've had so far. There, you can't make heads or tails out of them. And, and again, your quarterback has to inspire some confidence, man. And when you don't have that, right. you're, you become the Houston – or excuse me, you become the yeah. Tennessee Titans, I feel like, right now. You can't fake it. You can't fabricate it. It's just whether you do it or not. And, you know, to, to take this podcast full circle – we're covering a team right now that has a lot of confidence in their starting quarterback. And that's confidence that's very, very well deserved for what Jacoby Brissett's done. And maybe two and one becomes three and one next Sunday. And if it does, I think the Colts are one of the best stories in the NFL so far, considering how this year started and where they're at at the quarter pole. Yeah. And so yeah, before we go talking about bringing it full circle, we, we should probably make some reference to Adam Vinatieri. I, I tell you, I, I held my breath yesterday. I admit when he kicked in yeah. the first knuckleball, and it, I mean, talk about friendly rim, okay? Uh, you right. know, to make the basketball analogy in, in the basketball state. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so if you're the Colts, if you're Frank Reich, Chris Ballard, are you are you letting your guard down? Where, where are you at? No. Can't do it. Did you see that kick? I did. I mean. <laughs> I opened my know, eyes for- briefly long enough to see it, yes. In the press box, we have the absolute worst view of kicks. I never can tell if the ball's in or not because we're so <laughs> high up and it's it's completely horizontal down there. And so I end up having to watch the replay five or six times on the TV version to see what happens with this ball. I'm glad the first one went in because everyone in the stadium could exhale because they got the three points that eventually decided the game, right? Those were huge kicks. And he made you know a bunch of extra points as well, which wasn't exactly an easy thing the first couple games of the season. But I don't think you bring in six kickers tomorrow to work out, but I don't think you let your guard down either because this is something that I'm just not sure they're through this completely. Let's just say this was one good Sunday. That's great. Let them enjoy it. But I'm not sure I saw enough for this to die down completely. Yeah, so he hit he hit the, what was that? How many yards was that? 48? 40-something, uh, yeah. 49, yeah. yeah. So he hits the 40. Eight, because he was glad it wasn't 50. That's what go. he said after There you the game. go. He hits the 49-yarder. Then he kicks the chip shot of all chip shots. Okay. So he goes two for two on the on the field goals. And uh, what? Uh, three extra points? Yeah. Three extra points. So, look. I think the one, the one kick that was the difficult kick almost had no business going in. Let's just be honest. I mean, he was lucky. He, he was absolutely lucky. He was living right the ball went in the goalpost, went through the goalpost. There's that's really all we can say. At the, the the bottom line here is, if it wasn't for that ball going through, we're having a different conversation. If that ball bounces outside yeah. the goalpost, this is a different that's conversation. Even with the makes, this to start the year, six of nine. Yeah, 
Yeah. Even with the made kicks yesterday, we'd still be having a different conversation if that first kick misses because it's not that he missing a 49-yard field goal is not is not a fireable offense, but when you miss it like that, I mean you kicked a, a knuckleball that looked like nothing I've ever seen in an NFL game. <laughs> that was just it was horrible. It was a horrible kick, and it's not like Adam Vinatieri. So I agree with you. I don't think they're out of the woods. I think it bought him another week, and it gave Adam Vinatieri a chance to exhale, which I think is very important too here because the mental strain for this guy, who is as as tough as they come, but the mental strain had to be just enormous. Can you imagine? Well, I think might have been, you know might have been some kicking karma, right? He had the one hit the goalpost last week in Tennessee. Maybe this one, right. instead of getting a bad bounce, he got a good bounce. Maybe the kicking gods are shining upon him once again. <laughs> um, no doubt he was a huge player in yesterday's game because if you consider the way they've been missing extra points, I mean, this was a three-point game at the end, and the Colts were having to scrape for every yard um, to finish that off, and three points proved the difference. Good day for Adam Vinatieri. I'm not ready to just move on and say the kicking – job is completely um something they don't have to worry about it's it's just not i mean the feeling for so many years ever since i've been on the beat is you don't even have to discuss or worry about the state of the kicker job in indianapolis that's not the case right now simply because of the results that we've seen through three games but good news for him there at lucas oil stadium again next week i can guarantee you if the weather is 72 and sunny and the perfect day to open the window in the roof it will still be closed because they need their kicker to keep firing and keep hitting the wall well there was a beautiful day yesterday and there was no chance that roof or window was going to be open. So I think that's a safe bet for next week as well. So it'll be interesting. We'll be back with another podcast later this week. We got lots to look ahead to Oakland Raiders coming in here. Hopefully we'll have some injury updates as well. By then will Darius Leonard be back out there. What's going to be the status of T.Y. Hilton? All we know at this point is, I mean, I talked to him yesterday and they pulled him out of the game. Basically, that was a medical decision, not T.Y.'s decision. He aggravated that groin injury, or excuse me, that that quad injury. So that is going to be one to watch throughout the week. And it may just go down to the wire because it always does with T.Y. So we will see. Uh, but, But two huge injuries to watch this week. And then a big game, obviously, coming up. Their second home game against the Oakland Raiders. A uh, chance to go to three and one. So lots to keep tabs on this week. We have plenty of coverage coming and keep checking out the athletic. Lots of great coverage from yesterday's game. Uh, Zach on Jacoby Brissett. Uh, my story on Frank Reich and his play calling and Bob Kravitz on the old man, Adam Vinatieri and where they go from here. So I uh, hope you enjoy all that. Thanks for listening. If you're not subscribing to the athletic, by the way, you can read all that great coverage by going to theathletic.com and taking advantage of any number of the uh, introductory rates that we have, check it out. Uh, do the trial subscription, whatever whatever works for you. And then if you do that, then you come back and hear us on the subscriber-only podcast later in the week. So lucky you. All right. Well, uh, that's it for us. I'm Stephen Holder with Zach Kiefer. Thanks for listening. This is 1% Better. We'll catch you later this week.